Hello everyone, welcome back to Murderous Lunatics, uh, Prince of Podcasts, Matt Ballard. Today's episode 7. Uh, now, this uh, person that I'm going to be talking about, was only one murder. However, it was a very, very brutal murder. An Australian woman known as Catherine Knight. Now... This rarely comes up, to be honest. No one, you, I've mentioned Catherine Knight to a few people and they don't really, they don't even know who she is. Um, I didn't even know who she is or was up until maybe a few months ago. Um, you're a crazy woman. Let's let's have a little bit of a, a, a little synopsis on Catherine, Catherine Knight herself. So she was born the 24th of October 1955, four days after me, but years earlier, um, and is the first Australian woman to be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. The first, the very first. She was convicted for the murder of her partner, John Charles Thomas Price. Why do they have to include all the name? Why don't they just say John Price? In October of 2001, and he's currently imprisoned at the Silverwater Women's Correctional Centre in New South Wales. Here's the kicker. Catherine stabbed Price to death, skinned him, then put his skin on a meat hook and cooked his head and parts of his body with the intention of feeding them to his children. Well, there you go. Bam. That's uh, it's pretty uh, wild for a murder. You know, it's like, like I've said previously, it's hard enough to murder someone. Not that I would, but it's hard enough to murder someone. And let alone skin them, cook them, and go to feed them to his kids. Um, she had a pretty, uh, pretty rough childhood, as all dysfunctional murderers, criminals do. Um, it's, yeah, like the previous name of my podcast, Breaking Point. There was a breaking point. Started at a very, very young age for this lady. And I can't believe I'm getting excited. Well, I'm not excited. More interested. Because I'm learning as you're learning. And that's the that's the key. Alright, so whilst ever I whilst ever you listen to my voice, we are all learning at the same time. Let's talk about Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight was born and raised in an unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Her mother, Barbara, had been married to Jack and lived in a small town of Aberdeen, New South Wales, Hunter's Valley. Hunter Valley? Yep. Got it. I don't know where that is, actually. It's probably out near where I used to live, maybe. Don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Barbara and Jack had four sons before Barbara began an adulterous relationship with Ken Knight, a friend and co-worker of her husband. Hmm. The Rowan and Knight families were well known in the conservative rural town and the affair caused a major scandal. Very major scandal, especially in a small town like that. Um... Local backlash forced Barbara and Ken to leave Aberdeen and move to Moree. Moree's 
bit further away for those who want to know. Um, I've got some New South Wales listeners here, so you'd know exactly where I'm talking about. I, I would hope so. Um, and if you're from that area, send me a message or call in. Call in. How can you call in? Um, send me a message on Twitter. Um, look for Murderous Lunatics or even go on to Anchor and, and tweet me or go on to Anchor and leave me a voice message because I'd like to know if anyone out there is from that area or was from that area at the time that it all happened because I want to know how the town was after that um, murder itself. <clears throat> anyway, let's move forward. So, none of her four sons went with her. The two older boys continued to reside with their father while the two younger sons were sent to be raised by an aunt. Now, Barbara had four additional children with Ken Knight, including a pair of twin girls born in 1955 in Tenterfield. Catherine was the younger of these twins. Catherine was the younger of these twin daughters? In 1959, that made no sense. In 1959, when Knight was four, Jack, oh, okay, now I get it. Jack Rowan passed away and his two boys who'd been living with him moved in with Barbara and Ken, their mother. This is getting confusing. Anyway, catch up. Knight's father was an alcoholic who openly used violence and intimidation to rape his wife Barbara, which was Catherine's mother, up to 10 times a day. Damn, that's, that's 10 times a day. Barbara, I'm, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying 10 times a day, that's a lot of time to get your rocks off. Um, wouldn't you be tired? But I don't condone rape. So Barbara, in turn, often told her daughters intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men. Later, when Knight complained to her mother that one of her partners wanted her to take part in a sex act she did not want to perform, Barbara told her to put up with it and stop complaining. Catherine claimed she was frequently sexually assaulted by members of the family but not her father, which continued until she was 11. Although they have minor doubts about the details, psychiatrists accept her claim as all her family members confirm, confirm, confirm the events did happen. Okay, so now let's just go, go back on this whole um, unconventional and dysfunctional. Now this woman... She was like a sponge, I guess. Um, she saw it all happen. And she was she was born to kill. That's the word I'm going for because No, she wasn't born to kill. She that's nature versus nurture. Um Yeah. That's that's horrific. Um of what happened with the family anyway. But you know of people that do have like oh, we all know people that you know they've they've had a rough life, been raised very unconventional and dysfunctional, and they've turned out extremely well. Um, a friend of mine that I went to school with, I won't name him just in case he ever listens to this, but he had a very bad upbringing, um, alcoholic mother, and so on. And 
well, she was a lovely lady, God rest her soul, because she's passed away now. But the the household was just not good. Um, bad vibes. Father left. He still stayed in his life. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that he grew up, he's now a, a regional manager of a, um, oh, like, almost like Coca-Cola and stuff like that. Um, but he turned to religion, I guess, with his current wife and, and they live a lovely life together. Um, good on them. So it all depends on the person is what I'm, what I'm saying. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, so I'll skip a, a, a few things because it really doesn't make... Um, isn't any need. So, the only person that Catherine was close to was her uncle, um, Oscar, Oscar Knight, who was a champion horseman. Um, he committed suicide in 1969, um, and she was very devastated, and that could have been the turning point. And she continues to maintain that the ghost of Oscar Knight visits her. Anyway, that's, that's for another time. The family moved back to Aberdeen the same year. So she attended Musselbrook High School. Um, once again, anyone out there that attended Musselbrook High School with Catherine Knight, please tell me or, or let me know because I'd, I'd like to know um, about that. Knight became a loner and remembered by classmates as a bully who stood over small children. She assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and was once, once injured by a teacher uh, who was subsequently found to have acted in self-defence. Um, Knight was a model student and often earned towards um, awards for her good behaviour. She left school at 15 um, without having learned to read or write, um, gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. Um, Twelve months later, she left to start uh, to what she referred to as her dream job. Whoa. Which was, drum roll please, cutting up offal at the local abattoir. Mmm, slaughterhouse. If that's not a clue, then what is? There, oh, here we go. There she was quickly promoted to boning. Um, that could have been written differently. Um... Yeah, that, that'd be a good job, getting promoted to boning. Boning who, though? Um, and was given her own set of butcher's knives. Oh, man. At home, the knives were hung over her bed so they could always be handy if I needed them. This shit's getting real now. Um, a habit she continued until her incarceration. Everywhere she lived. So, imagine meeting Catherine at the local club. Hey, baby. You want to come home? Oh, yeah, let's go to my place. Oh, you have a few, few drinks with her. Oh, what do you do for a job? Oh, you know, I'm a boner. <laughs> I'm a boner at the local abattoir, slaughterhouse. Oh, that's interesting. Well, how would you like a bit of a boning? Yeah, that's that's a good pickup line. Um, don't ever use it. So, get home. You're about to uh, get into it. And then you take her into the bedroom and you see a set of knives splayed across the top of her bed all on little hooks they've probably got names for them um 
Yeah, so that that's a bit intense. That imagine imagine that though. Like it's if if you went out and you met someone and they said they worked at a slaughterhouse, I I don't think I it wouldn't matter how hot she was, I would not go home with her. You know, it just shows how good she is with a knife. Um, never upset a woman with a knife. I should know this because my sister is quite the uh, the knife um, handler. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. It's news for another day. Um, but what I do want to talk about is uh, when I, I did when I was doing legal studies at high school, I got to um, go to. I won't name the prison, but it was a correctional centre. And during, though, I don't, I don't even know why, but during those days, um, we were allowed in general population. We got taken around by guard, um, met some people, uh, met some really nice people uh, that were remorseful, uh, which is kind of what got me interested in um, crime and, and things like that. Um, so there was a guy that I met, he'd been in two years for drink driving and he killed his friend. Um, they both agreed to go um, go out driving after a, a, quite a few drinks and he lost control of the car and, and killed his best friend. Now he said the worst, the worst thing is having to confront the family and he did and it was, it was terrible. He said um, he deserves to be in prison. He never wants to be let out because that's the, the least. Um, I mean, he killed his mate. The, you can't go back from that, really. Um, and the other funny thing was we went up to the showers uh, where all the men were having showers and they were all coming out of showers and, and stuff like that. And they were flushing themselves at us and all the girls and, oh, it would have been quite the show. Um, for the boys. Anyway, um, so so that happened, and it was quite an experience. Anyway, on the way out, I got whistled at. Um, hey there, pretty boy. I went, yes, I'm a pretty boy, but I really didn't need that much exposure. Um, it's quite scary. The other thing is, and I don't know why they did it, but there was a um. There was, we went to a, a pedophile's room um, and they unlocked the door and let this guy out. Now, I'll never forget him because he looked a bit like um, the older Bilbo Baggins off Lord of the Rings. Glasses, hair short, um, and but he had really curly, curly white hair and he had his face buried in a book. Not once did he look up from that book. I mean, there's kids, you know, 16-year-olds. Um, but not once did he look up from that book and go, oh, hello. But we went into his room, had a bit of a look around. It, it smelt absolutely terrible. Um, oh, it was just disgusting. So that was my first experience in a uh, prison. And quite honestly, I would never like to go to prison. So let's move on um, back to Catherine Knight and not Matt Ballard. So, Knight got married, the first guy that she married, um, David Kellett, 
Um, now, Knight first met hard-drinking co-worker David Kellett in 1973 and completely dominated him. If Kellett got into a fight, Knight would step in and back him up with her fists. In Aberdeen, she was well known for physically threatening anyone who upset her. Oh, sounds like my sister. Um, Knight married Kellett in 1974 at her request with the couple arriving at the service on her motorcycle. See, knives, domination, yeah. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he was into that, who knows. With a very intoxicated Kellett on the pillion, for those who don't know what a pillion is, Neither do I. Um, no, I'm pretty sure it's uh, the back seat of the motorbike. So, but he was intoxicated because he was scared. That's not true. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm just assuming. Um, so as soon as they arrived, Knight's mother Barbara gave Kellett some advice. She said, the force is strong with this one. No, she didn't. That's off Star Wars. Um, okay, this is what she really said though. The old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. In brackets, cheating. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. Hmm. Really? Okay. Yep. That would have been, I would have been like, yeah, catch you later. No, but then if you, then if you ran, she'd hunt you down and kill you anyway. So this guy's fucked regardless. On their wedding night, Knight tried to strangle Kellett in, well, okay. She later explained it was because he fell asleep after only having intercourse three times. Jesus. Um, three, she was a sex addict. <coughs> Sorry about that. The marriage proved particularly violent and on one occasion, a heavily pregnant knight burned all of Kellett's clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan. Frying pans are quite the weapon if used correctly. Um, never used one myself, but I would assume being cast iron, it would leave a bit of a dent or possibly kill someone. Um, oh, that's because he arrived home late from a darts competition after reaching the finals. Give him a break. He reached the finals. Um, in fear for his life, he fled before collapsing in a neighbor's house and he was later treated for a severely fractured skull. What a champion. Running away like that with a fractured skull. I've had a fractured skull. It's not nice. Police want to charge Knight, but she changed her behavior to ingratiate Kellett and talk him into dropping the charges. She was a master manipulator, this lady. She's crazy. In, oh yeah, Oh, and they even had fucking kids together, you idiot. In May 1976, shortly before the birth of her first child, Melissa Ann, Kellett left her for another woman and moved to Queensland because he was unable to cope with Knight's abuse. The next day, Knight was seen pushing a new baby in the pram down the street, violently throwing the pram from side to side. She was admitted to St Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth. If anyone knows about this, let me know where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. That ain't postnatal depression. That's just fucking straight up psychopathic behavior and spent several weeks recovering. Okay, good for you, lady. After being released, Knight placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line shortly before a train was due, then stole an axe, went into town and threatened to kill people. 
um, a man known in the districts as Old Ted, Old Ted, who was foraging near the railway line, found and rescued Melissa by all accounts only minutes before the train passed. She was arrested, taken to St Elmo's Hospital, but recovered, signed herself out the next day. That should not have happened, um, especially today. I mean, that's why would you? Why the fuck would you do that? That's you. That's attempted murder straight up. You you can't keep using postnatal depression as a fucking excuse. Anyway, a few days later, Knight slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives, and demanded she drive her to Queensland to find Killett. Damn, never crossed this woman. The woman escaped after they stopped at a service station, but by the time the police arrived, she had taken a young boy hostage and was threatened to kill him with a knife. She was disarmed and the police attacked her with brooms. That's funny. Um, and was admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Police attacked her with brooms. Okay. Knight told the nurses she had intended to kill a mechanic at the service station because he had repaired Kellett's car. Which had allowed him to leave and then kill both her husband and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. When police informed Kellett of the incident, he left his girlfriend and moved to Aberdeen with his mother to support Knight. Oh man. Oh, this just keeps getting worse. Oh, here's one. Knight was released August 1976 into the care of her mother in law along with Kellett. Moved to Woodbridge, a suburb of Brisbane. Woodridge, sorry. I've been to Woodridge. Um. Yeah, it's not that good. Uh, I stayed there for Christmas holidays with my sister at the time. And, oh, yeah, there was, like, police chases everywhere. Shit was straight up, like, something out of a car chase movie. Um, So, oh, so she obtained a job at the Dinmore Meatworks in Ipswich. Why the fuck, after all this, you would give her a job at at Meatworks? Meatworks is also another name for Slaughterhouse or Abattoir. Either either. Choose what you want. All means the same. Um, 6th of March, 1980, they had another daughter, Natasha Marie. Yeah, see, this goes back to the words of don't stick your dick in crazy Remember that. Remember that if you're out drunk and the woman tells you that she works at a slaughterhouse, don't do it. Just remember what I said. Don't stick your dick in crazy. Um, Yes, so um, Knight left Kellett and moved in first with her parents in Aberdeen, then to a rented house in nearby Musselbrook. Although she returned to work at the abattoir, she injured her back and went on a disability pension. No longer needing to rent accommodation close to her work, the government gave her a housing commission in Aberdeen. Now, we all know what housing commission means in Australia, but for international people, it's basically the government pays for a shitty little house for you and you get to live in it for subsidised rent or for free depending on your situation, I guess. Um, Then, so, in um, 1986, which was two years later, um, she met David Saunders, 
and well, she's had a lot of relationships, um, and he was a 38-year-old miner, David Saunders. A few months later, he moved in with her and her daughters, although he kept his old apartment in Scone. Um, Knight soon became jealous regarding what he did when she was not around and would often throw him out. He would move back to his apartment where she would invariably follow him and beg him to return. Um, ooh. May 1987, she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo pup in front of him uh, for no reason than as an example of what would happen if he ever had an affair before going on to knock him unconscious with none other than her choice of weapons, the old frying pan. Okay, June 1988, she gave, was it the same frying pan or a different frying pan? If anyone knows, let me know. She gave birth to a third daughter, Sarah. Sarah Knight, which prompted Saunders to put a deposit on a house. Knight paid off the deposit when her workers' comp came through in 1989. Knight decorated the house throughout with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather trap, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. No space, including the ceilings, were left uncovered. Don't stick your dick in crazy. After an argument where she hit Saunders in the face with an... Oh, she's moved on. Moved on to a different weapon this time. It's an iron. Before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. I have many questions. Um... He moved back to Scone, but when he later returned home, he had found she had cut up all his clothes with said scissors. Saunders took long service leave and went into hiding. Knight tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing his whereabouts. Several months later, Saunders returned to see his daughter and found that Knight had gone to the police and told them she was afraid of him. They issued her an AVO against him. Bitch. Um, next one. John Chillingworth, 1990. Knight became pregnant again by 43-year-old former abattoir worker John Chillingworth, another co-worker, and gave birth the following year to a boy named Eric, Eric Knight. Eric Knight. Their relationship lasted three years before she left him for a man she had been having an affair with for some time, which was John Price. Of course it was. <clears throat> anyway, this is the big one. This is the guy that she killed. So listen closely. John Charles Thomas Price was the father of three children when Knight had an affair with him. Fuck me. Reputedly a terrific bloke, liked by everyone who knew him, his own marriage had ended in 1988. While his two-year-old daughter had remained with his former wife, the two older children lived with him. Price was well aware of Knight's violent reputation as she moved into his house in 95. His children liked her. He was making a lot of money working in local mines. And apart from violent arguments, at first, life was a bunch of roses. <clears throat> it wasn't until 1998 that Knight and Price fought over his refusal to marry her. Mm. In retaliation, she videotaped items he allegedly stolen from work and sent the tape to his boss. Although the items were out-of-date medical kits that he had scavenged from the local tip, Price was fired from the job he had held for 17 years as his boss had no choice. That same day, he kicked her out and she returned to her home while news of what she had done spread throughout the town. A few months later, Price restarted the relationship, although he refused to allow her to move in. The fighting became more frequent and most of his friends would no longer have anything to do with him while they remained together. Alright, the murder 
of John Price. Here we go. February, the year 2000. Hold on. Let's just go back a minute because this, firstly, before, I'm, before I get into any of this murder shit, um, attempted murder on a child, attempted murder on him, these guys should have went to the police um, about it and she was brutal. Like this, how many mental institutions had she been in Shouldn't she have been on some watch list? Were people not watching her? Um, authorities even? Um, the, someone has to be made accountable for this because whilst, yes, she did the wrong thing, um, why did no one step in? The other thing I want to say is people like this, okay, like um, uh, child services. They're quick to step in at the slightest uh, noise of of something happening in a household, yet nothing will come of uh, a woman going crazy and, and stabbing her partners and trying to kill a kid. Someone needs to be held accountable. Let's move on to the murder of John Price. Okay. In February 2000, a series of assaults on Price culminated with Knight stabbing him in the chest. Finally fed up, he kicked her out of the house. Uh, February 29th, he stopped at the scene, at the scene, scone, 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 however you want to say it, S-C-O-N-E. Let me know how you say it or spell it because I see that as scone, like the little uh, pastry. Um, But people call it scone. I call it scone. So I'm going to say Scon, on his way to work and took out a restraining order in an attempt to keep her away from both himself and his children. Oh, that, that afternoon he told his co-workers if he didn't come to work the next day, it's because Knight had murdered him. Despite the pleas, Price not that he doesn't go home, he stated he was afraid Catherine would kill his children if he didn't. Price arrived home that night to find... Price arrived home to find that Knight, although not there herself, had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's house. He spent the evening with his neighbours before returning home and going to bed at 11pm. Earlier that day, Knight had bought some new black lingerie and videotaped all her children while making comments which have since been interpreted as crude will. She later arrived at Price's house while he was sleeping and sat watching television for a few minutes before having a shower. She then woke Price and they had sex, then he fell asleep. Alright, at 6am the next day, the neighbour became concerned because Price's car was still in the driveway and when he didn't go to work, his employees, employee, employer, employer, sent a worker to see what was wrong. Both the neighbour and the worker tried knocking on Price's window, but had to alert the police because they noticed blood on the floor. Um, police arrived at 8am, breaking down the door, found Price's body uh, with night comatose from taking a large number of pills. She had stabbed Price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. According to the blood evidence, he awoke and tried to turn the light on before attempting to escape while night chased him through the house. He managed to open the door and get outside, but either stumbled back or was dragged in back into the hallway, where he finally died after he bled out. 
Knight went into Aberdeen and withdrew $1,000 from Price's account at an ATM. His autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed at least 37 times in both the front and the back of his body, with many of the wounds extending into vital organs. Several hours after he had died, Knight skinned him and hung the skin from a meat hook on the architrave of a door to the lounge room. She then decapitated him and cooked parts of his body, served up the meat with baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. Very descriptive there. In two settings at the dinner table, along with the notes beside each plate, each having the name of each one of Price's children on it, as she was preparing to serve his body parts to his children. A third meal was thrown onto the back lawn for unknown reasons, and it is speculated she had attempted to eat it but could not. This has been put forward in support of her claim that she has no memory of the crime. His head was found in a pot with vegetables. The pot was still warm. Okay. Estimated to be at between 40 and 50 degrees Celsius, which for my overseas listeners, 104 and 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Indicating that the cooking had taken place early in the morning. Sometime later, Knight arranged the body with the left arm draped over an empty 1.25 litre soft drink bottle with his legs crossed. Um, it was claimed in court to be an act of defilement demonstrating Knight's contempt for him. Um, ooh, Knight had left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of Price, bloodstained and covered with small pieces of flesh, and this is what it read. Quote, Time you got back Jonathan for rapping. Oh, time time got you back Jonathan for rapping. It's, she spelt raping wrong, but it says there, raping. Um, rapping, brackets, raping my daughter, you to Beck, Price's daughter, for Ross, for little John, his son. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Mm. The accusations in the note were found to be groundless. Interesting. Um, so, any thoughts on that? Um, so what? It, let's let's see what uh, the trial brought about. She entered a plea of not guilty, um, and yeah, so she she ended up going to jail. Um, the nature of the crime and Knight's lack of remorse required a severe penalty. Uh, he sentenced to life imprisonment, uh, refused to fix a non-parole period, and marked on her papers, never to be released. Um, the first time this had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Well, so they fucking should, because, it, like, she skinned him alive. Skinned him alive. Um, that shit's That shit's crazy. And if you actually have a look at a photo of her online, she looks like a lovely, sweet old lady. Or maybe not old, but just a lovely, sweet lady who had a um, oh, sex addiction, um, frying pan addiction, even the old iron addiction. Um, I'm a bit dumbfounded, actually, by this whole whole case. Um, I've not even really read too much about it until today, so 
what I would like to go back on is it's it from, from she was ruined from the start and she had this idea in her head that um, because of her mother which learned behavior I guess um, you leave me or you cheat on me I'm gonna fucking kill you um, don't leave me blah 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 and when it was found out about town that she'd done the dirty um, it probably uh, brought back um, a few things from her childhood when they had to leave um, but it's nobody makes you nobody makes you commit murder you do that all on your own and psychopath or not she is fucked up so anyway um, going back on on what I said if anyone knows about this case or was involved directly indirectly um, or they went to school with her she's 63 so I'm, I don't know if I have any 63 year old listeners out there but if you live in the town um, what's the stigma I want to know um, because it's interesting and I want to know how this how the town survived after that stuff happened um, or any of the towns that I have mentioned um, Moree, Aberdeen and a few others, Tenerfield. Um, if you live there, let me know. Maybe send me a voice message on uh, Anchor. Otherwise, tweet me on Twitter. I'll uh, post a link of this podcast to Twitter itself. Um, thanks for listening, and catch you next time.